0: So the, uh, these nine verses uh, here, I think, are, are uh, pretty simple and they're pretty straightforward. But I think what Jesus is addressing in his teaching and spending time with are some, some difficult topics for us. Um, these ideas of judgment, of evil, of sin, of repentance. Um, I think if we understand the biblical teaching about these ideas, then we uh, can understand some of what is called doctrine. And we're going to use this passage this morning to kind of give a clear understanding of these four doctrines because they are uh, really, really important for our faith. And also hear Jesus' exhortation about some of these ideas, about what we need to do as we understand them as he does. And so why does doctrine matter? Why do I even use this? Uh, Because doctrine is the teaching of the church. And as Jesus, as we've been studying Jesus as our teacher, we need to kind of bring that to the forefront to understand that doctrine is the teaching of the church, and the church teaches uh, what Jesus teaches. And so we need to understand what he teaches, not what we want uh, to be true, but what he says is true. And so on these particular um, items, it's very important that we get these things right. And so let's look at each one of these ahead of time, and here's what I want you to get out of them, and we'll go back in and understand just his exhortation of what he's calling us to do once we understand uh, these things. So let's first take a judgment. What Jesus is teaching is that apart from repentance, men and women will perish. And so this is something that we may know to be true, that we may think that the Bible teaches, but it's not something that we talk about, right? That, that apart from repentance, men and women will perish. And he's also uh, describing in the parable as uh, as people like this uh, as trees, and these trees will be cut down, that there will be judgment on those that do not repent. And then finally, the reason for the tree being cut down or the person uh, perishing in the way that he's speaking of is because of not bearing fruit. The tree is not what the tree was thought to be. And so these are kind of straightforward concepts, but important for us to understand as it relates to judgment. He talks about repenting, and if you don't repent, you will perish. And so take note of that. The second thing is uh, evil. What we call misfortune or evil is a fact of life that can befall anyone. Um, I can tell you probably five or six stories of my own life where this was made abundantly clear where life was going on as it normally does, and then you're faced with something where uh, you're kind of brought back to reality and you're brought back to the sobering thought that my next breath is not uh, guaranteed to me. And so he wants to make these, uh, as he's having this conversation, he wants to make uh, use this opportunity to say, hey guys, I know that you think that you're going to live forever, but you won't. And repentance is at the foremost of my priority for you because I don't want you to be away from me. Second, because this is the case, right, that we should recognize that there's an urgency to repentance. So many people kind of have this idea, if they uh, believe in a God, that, well, I will get reconciled to him at some point, right? That there's just some day I'll feel like it, and I'll happen, and, and I've got plenty of time. No big deal. Uh, The third idea here about sin is that it's a universal condition that necessitates repentance. So he doesn't draw them out as as far as saying who needs it. He just says, unless you have. Right, that you all perish. He doesn't qualify it in any way. Other than if you don't need to repent, well then you wouldn't wouldn't perish. We can assume that. And number two, greater sin is not responsible for what can happen to people and does not uh, explain all the calamity or evil that happens in the world. So he's addressing, the men are bringing up, hey, here's this tragedy, what do you think? And Jesus said, there's nothing, there, nothing different about these men who uh, fell under uh, Pilate's knife than you guys. And then he even brings up a different situation, right? What about the tower? Do you think those guys were any worse sinners than anybody else in Jerusalem? No, they're not. Things happen, right, in this world that we are subject to, Uh, to things failing and that we are subject to tragedy and then lastly repentance he teaches many things about repentance here the first of which is repentance is a necessary prerequisite for being with Christ for being uh, reconciled to him for uh, in our southern parlance for being saved and a lot of times that, that language is not super helpful Repentance is a necessary prerequisite for not perishing in the sense that Jesus says. And he also teaches that true repentance will yield fruit. That is how we know that we have been repentant. That is how we know that we have been reconciled. That there is a state in which we can think that we have been reconciled, in which no fruit is produced, and then we go, oh no. This is uh, an idea that he is addressing. Number three, if a person does not have fruit, they may have misunderstood repentance. And God wants the person to correct this issue for them to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. This idea, I think, is the most important as we, uh, because when we think about uh, judgment and evil and sin, that so many times this is where we think, well, uh, we go to the place where God is just trying to get me. Right? He's just trying to, ah, gotcha. But when we hear this story as he's talking about these ideas and he's trying to bring the people into the sober reality of what, of what can happen, he then takes the time to tell them a story about that if this is not you, if you are not ready, if you are not as you need to be, then there's still time as you are looking at me. <laughs> and as you are hearing my voice, there is still time. And the fourth thing is that you are not able to repent after death or why else would he warn Why is he giving, why is he trying to show them that there is danger that lies ahead if you were to perish outside of repentance or reconciled relationship with Christ? So these things, again, why, like, okay, so you read those things to me, fantastic. I wrote them in my notebook or I wrote them down on my sheet of paper. So why does this matter? Why do I need to understand those truths? Because you live in a world uh, you watch things, you listen to things, you hear other people, maybe you've heard this from one another, where these ideas are rampantly inaccurate in our society and sometimes with even within our church bodies. You may hear uh, some things like these. And uh, I've given you kind of a quote, and then in parentheses, I'm talking about like what the category is in which we've gotten this wrong. These are popular ideas that express a poor understanding of these four doctrines. The first one is this idea that accountability is far from me, that we we all do this, that we do things that we think, oh, well, that's not that big a deal. Nobody's going to hold me accountable for living in this particular manner or doing this particular thing. I'll be accountable at some point later, or I'll be accountable when I kind of clean that stuff up, that that is something that is just a long ways off from me being held accountable. The second idea is that really bad things only happen to other people. And I think for, for most of you in here, you've probably gotten uh, closer than you want to knowing that that idea is wrong. I can think of six instances in, in, my, uh, in my life where I have come face to face with this possibility. That my life is much shorter than I may want it to be or that it could be at any moment. And it is a sobering, sobering fact when you come to that realization. But, that, but we know that that's not true. Yet we, we act as if it is. Third, maybe they deserved it. That these that have fallen under tragedy, that maybe some, for some reason there was some backhanded way where they were getting what they deserved. And Jesus here is seeking no such thing. We live in a world that earthquakes can occur that walls can fall over and if the wall falls over and somebody's under the wall then something bad is going to happen that airplanes that are in the air engines fail and they fall out of the sky that's just physics i don't like to think about things like that doesn't matter if we don't like them (laughs) if they're true and so us not not kind of being in a space where we ever want to think about that or ever want to come to grips with that reality that I can die at any moment. is not good for us. We have this idea that praying a prayer means I repented. That there's this thing that I can do that kind of sets me up for forever. There's a thing that, that I often hear from um, from, I've actually heard this from family members. Rabbi, I, I did that a long time ago. And a relationship with Christ and reconciliation is not something we did. It's something that we do. It's something that we're participating in. And so that is a, that is a poor idea. Or good people are ultimately spared. Or sin doesn't really matter after I am saved. These are all really dangerous ideas because they lead to life away from how God intended it. And so that's why the, these things are really, really important for us to deal with this morning. So let's look real quickly at um, the exhortation that he gives us that I think is, uh, will hit all of us where it needs to. So let's look then back at the scripture one more time and let's pull out a couple things that he is wanting us to notice. Let's look again there in verse 13, 1 through 5. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So, as a pagan governor, he sacrifices to his gods, and so he does, there's all types of rituals that they do. There was probably some prisoners that were Galileans that were participating in that, um, uh, in that activity somehow. Maybe they were holding something, maybe they were standing in the back, but it, um, as these Uh, kind of these pagan sacrifices can do, particularly in that time, it probably got out of hand, and they were kind of thrown into the mix, and they were killed. It is tragic death. And why they say Galileans? Because, again, probably some of them were who were bringing it up. But Jesus answers them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? That's why they brought it up. What do you think, Jesus? And he says, Do you suppose that they were... Uh, any different than you guys? And he says, no. And he uses this instance to be reminded of their mortality. Reminded of what could come at any moment. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he brings up this other story. Do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So he's saying that in those situations, if it had been you, if you were not in relationship with me, in the way that I've called you to, in repentant, reconciled relationship, then the, your life, as you knew it, as you wanted to, would end at that time. It would not continue to go on with me. And so so that you are, are not all uh, kind of taken aback by this, we also want to understand that any time, whether it was a prophet or Jesus here calling those to repent, that those that have repented should feel good about this. That, oh, yes, I have done that. <laughs> I am participating in the salvation that he has offered. And I'm reminded, though, about why that's so good for me to do that and about why I need to do that. I have paid my taxes. This week I had to go to the uh, dermatologist for my yearly checkup. As you can see, I am fair-skinned and freckly. (laughs) I have a high risk of developing skin cancer. And so my wife, because she loves me, she makes me go every year. And my doctor does a head-to-toe check for problem areas, and if he sees something, He gets out the liquid nitrogen, right, or scrapes something off, sends it to the the lab. And every year, I have to get something froze off. This thing right in the middle of my forehead is such a a place. This is needed for my continued health. It is a wake-up call once a year. Oh, okay, please don't find anything. If I do not have myself examined, I am in danger of being caught unaware of the reality that my condition leaves me susceptible to. And so here, that is my condition. Here is the condition that all of us are susceptible to, being unrepentant. This is the condition that will cause us to perish. And so what he is asking uh, them, he asks you. Have you repented? Are you currently in that state? Psalm seven hundred twelve describes this unrepentant attitude, and it says if a man does not repent, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons, he makes his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, he travails with wickedness, and he conceives mischief and brings forth. Falsehood. What is being described here is insurrection. A violent uprising against an authority. This is who we are when we we believe, when God says, I'm God, and he says, this is that you are far from me and I have sent my son to uh, die in your stead so that you might be reconciled, so that you can see the love that I have for you that makes a way for you to come back in relationship with me. And when we say no, what we're doing is this. As someone who is defying the authority or the government, they are, how does it say, sharpening their sword, bending their bow. And it goes on later at the end, it says, He has dug a pit and hollowed it out. He has fallen into the hole which he has made. A hole of his own making, an independent uh, lifestyle where he is... uh, only uh, working uh, of himself, and it is this uh, thing that he has dug out, the thing that he himself is working on that ends up undoing him. It's a hard scene, but an accurate one. Because as we see God, as he is real and he has loved us in Christ, that he has said that this is who I am and I have made you for dependent living, as I come to you offering that life, and you say no, the disobedience in God's kingdom is treason. Because if he exists, then, then that's true. And you have rejected what is true for your own truth. That is a harsh reality, but that is why he speaks to us to be repentant. But there's more. We don't just stop there, and this is why uh, Jesus is so loving. Just in case you're not sure if repentance says, come to you, because this is probably what all of us are asking. I'm asking it as I read the words. He graciously tells us the story. There is this fig tree. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vine, uh, the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. So he didn't just come the next week, (laughs) he didn't just come the next couple of months, that he has been patiently coming back and checking. Is the fruit ready yet? Is there some on the tree? Because he so longs for the fig tree to bear fruit. That is what the master wants. Cut it down, he says. Why does it even use up the ground? And the vineyard keeper answers and said to him, Sir, let it alone for this year too. Until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. There's a couple things to notice here as we uh, start wrapping up. I want you to notice there that the man has planted it. That the seed has come up. That it's been watered. And he's waiting, longingly looking for the fruit. Because he knows that if it bears fruit, then it's his tree. Can you imagine looking at that hoping... Of something is yours and that's how you tell. Oh, you got your binoculars out. You're making charts. I think this is the day. The tree was planted in the man's vineyard. Secondly, the point of the tree's planting is to, re, uh, is to produce fruit. The reason that it's in the vineyard is to produce fruit. The man patiently comes to check for the fruit again and again and again. He didn't just look out the window once. For three years he has been coming Hoping that it will be there, and then lastly, there is a warning given that the situation can be fixed. As he has come out, not looking for fruit, the vineyard keeper says, "Let it alone still longer. Let me make sure that there's that it won't produce. Let me make sure that it's a, that it's um, that it's not a bad tree." He's talking about our vulnerability, and whomever needs to hear, let them hear. There is. Uh, There is fruit at some point, or there is judgment against that tree. And that we can miss this. That we can miss the whole idea. We hear about the gospel, and we hear about about our need to come and respond. But so many times, so many people stop right there. They misunderstand that what God has saved you from and to something. Matthew 7 Uh, 21 and 22 says this not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom but he who does the will of my father many will say to me on that day Lord did we not prophesy did we not cast out demons did we not perform miracles and he says depart from me for I never knew you and this last portion I think is where we need to settle here in the story that knew that that, that that's my tree that you're God's tree that he knew you that you are part of his family it's not like I've heard of this guy one time but yeah, I know them. They bear fruit. What well, comes even before this when he says, Lord, Lord, is his teaching about good and bad trees. You will know them by their fruits. You will know that they are repentant, that they are in me, that they have uh, come become reconciled to me. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. So we we go into the the idea of the metaphor of the tree, but again, we need to understand who we are, that we are fruit-bearing trees of the Father. And that this fruit is produced through the exercise of obedience that comes from any situation where we exercise faith. James 3.2 says this, Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Or can salt water produce fresh, that what God has made us into is meant to produce what he has wrought in us? That what he has made us, right, is the fruit that we are supposed to produce. It's not random fruit. It's fruit of his. We are his workmanship, it says in Ephesians 2.10. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. They are his works that he has created us to do for him. Ephesians 5.9 says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Jesus' people produce Jesus' fruit. I'll say that again. Jesus' people produce Jesus' fruit. As we think about what this fruit might be, here's where we'll end. We're familiar with Galatians 5.22 talking about the fruits of the Spirit, but so often we say those things and we say them, well, maybe I don't understand what that looks like. Well, let's let's take care of that. Galatians 5.22 said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. These are the things that he wants on his trees. These are the things that he wants you to produce. And so it looks like this. Being obedient to the Spirit produces these things. Being obedient to Jesus' teachings produces these things. Obedience to Jesus' teaching produces love. And obedience to Jesus' teaching produces peace. And obedience to Jesus' teaching produces patience. And obedience to Jesus' teaching produces kindness. I don't know if this is hard for you to hear or not, but there are many times that I do not want to be loving to you. (laughs) Or live at peace with you, or be patient with you, or be good to you, or be faithful to you, or be gentle to you, or to exhibit self-control. There are so many times... That is my natural reaction, is not to be those things to you. And when I am, I'm being obedient. More often than not, when my flesh is in danger of winning, the spirit within me reminds me to be patient. And it's at that point that I have to decide to be patient with you. It's at that point that you have to be patient with me. Rob is irritating the ever-living stew out of me. What am I going to do? It is the spirit within me that is saying, is reminding me, that you're, uh, reminding you that I'm a child of God. And that I need your patience right now. And I need your love right now. And that I'm worth it to sacrifice myself you and when i do this right when i don't do what i want to do then there's peace between us instead instead of estrangement that you receive joy that you would enjoy kindness because when i am disobedient to that spirit then you will feel unloved and i know that you have and then our relationship will be fractured that I have been impatient, that I have been unkind, that is bad fruit, and our world is full of it. And we have experienced bad fruit in this room, I'm sure, today even. And we have to respond, am I going to be obedient to what God is telling me to do to respond to that bad fruit with good fruit? This is what it looks like at the micro level. But when we do these things more consistently, the following will happen at the macro level. That as I understand what love is, as I get better at those things, that I'm continually be obedient then, as opposed to the gospel being pictured sometimes or the gospel being shared sometimes, it will be shared regularly. That the gospel will be proclaimed because I care more about you than I do myself. That I'm being obedient to Jesus as opposed to my my schedule or whatever else makes a claim. That the church will be healthy and unified around God's mission. That men and women are discipled to Christ's likeness and equipped to co-labor in ministry. And then finally when this is done at a macro level, that the poor, the widowed, the orphan, the exposed, and the abused are cared for. Not left where they are. The last thing I want you to notice about the fruit here is that these things go together. They are not random things that we can have, but, but when we have one, we have all being obedient to the Spirit, consistently will yield all this fruit. And that's my assurance when I am doing this. John, uh, John, 1 John uh, 2.6 says this, How do we know we are in Him? That we must walk as He walked. The one who says He abides in Him ought Himself to walk in the same manner as He walked. Jesus' walk his life bore the fruit of the Spirit in every space he was in. And unless you think there are no hard things here, being patient with a sinner is hard work. These are not just kind of lovey-dovey things that we just get to do when we're in the best of moods, and that's it. But when you're dealing with the sinner and living with them, being patient with them is really, really hard. Being joyful amidst heartache is hard. Being faithful to folks who are not faithful is hard. But this is the fruit that we will bear if we are obedient to him. This is what it means and what it looks like to be repentant. So let me end with this. Jesus is recording as saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In Luke 23, to men who have beaten him are about to steal his clothes before he is crucified for no real reason. The martyr Stephen is recorded as saying something very similar. Do not hold their sin against them in Acts 7.60 as men are finishing stoning him, not at the beginning, but at the end. He has called them to repentance and they stone him for it. And he says, Father, forgive them. Do not hold this against them. My friends, that is fruit too. And we we look at that story in chapter 7. Before uh, Stephen asked for the men to be forgiven, he sees this vision of the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. And that means that Jesus is giving his approval to Stephen. That Hey, that's my tree. That that guy right there is bearing my fruit. And so my prayer this morning, that our faith community and every faith community in this city may be an orchard that our our Father happily visits. That He can walk among us and look and see the fruit of His people. That He can be a proud tree owner, and not one that is just hoping upon hope that maybe fruit will appear. And so let me pray. Father, I would ask that you would give us a clear picture of repentance and life with you. Father, to live life with you, we have to repent of the life that I want for myself. But you promise us, Father, that that is when we will find life indeed. That is when we will actually save ourselves. That is when we will become more ourselves than we have ever been. Father, I pray that as you, that we see your kindness and your faithfulness and it draws you to us, Father, that as we seek to be those things, Lord, that you are doing everything in your power to make sure that we produce fruit. Father, and that fruit is the righteousness and goodness that you so long for everyone that we, have in, that we come in contact to enjoy. Father, that I have enjoyed the fruit of your people for so long, Lord. I know what that feels like, and I want it more and more every day. Father, I pray that this community and the communities in our city would feel that as well. Lord, as we take just a short time to debrief and then um, and then worship you, Father, I ask that you would make this real in our lives, that you would connect this truth to our hearts and help us respond accordingly. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.